One of the books I've read for, for the sermon series was Gods at War by Kyle Eidelman. And he writes about his daughter who, who had a fish, right? You know, and really loved you know, this fish to where when they would go swimming right out in the pool, they would take the fish, and the fish's name, of course, was Nemo. And Nemo's bold, bold the out edge of the pool and, and could you know, join them swimming, watch them swim. Well, one time, the bowl was put real close to the edge. The bowl was filled with water. And of course, Nemo jumped out of the bowl, flopped, and went into the pool. And it's like, wow, look at Nemo. Nemo was swimming freely and enjoying. What a great freedom for Nemo. And he's swimming all over the pool. They thought, this is awesome. They had a great time as a family until a few hours later, all of a sudden, Nemo came to the top of the pool on his side, and he was dead. Because there's a stuff in pools that's called chlorine. And chlorine is not good for fish. And Nemo died. I think sometimes we can be like Nemo. We can sometimes feel like, God, why do you give us these boundaries? But remember, those boundaries lead to our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction, greatest beauty, greatest hope. Hello and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is titled The Seduction of Success and was based on 2 Kings 5, 1 through 15. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. We chose this faith visual because everything we're talking about in this series, Habits of the Heart, really comes down to one thing. When we know that we are loved, treasured passionately by God, then the love reservoir within us becomes filled to overflowing. But when we doubt that God really loves us, and there's a lot of different reasons we can doubt why God loves us. For some of us, it might be because we've been rejected in a human relationship. And because of that, it's easy for us to transfer, well, then maybe God will reject me. Or for some of us, it might be, I know myself, and if, if you knew me, you probably wouldn't love me. If you really knew the thoughts of my mind and, and, and the habits of my heart, if, if you really knew the depravity and the brokenness within me, and we forget that God is a gracious God who loves His children, brokenness and all. Or for some of us, it might be because of guilt or shame of the past. We say, you know, how could God love me with the things that have happened? in my past, and yet remember, those have been nailed to the cross, and we've been completely forgiven, <clears throat> clothed in Christ's righteousness. So as soon as our love reservoir begins to become shallow, we become vulnerable to do whatever it takes to fill that love reservoir that God longs to fill into the depths of our hearts, our minds, our souls. And then we become vulnerable to the idolatry of love the idolatry of romance, the idolatry of sex. And this is challenging because we live in a sexualized society with this beautiful gift. Do you, you know, sex is a beautiful gift. Love, romance, sex, a beautiful gift from God for our pleasure. So that people might intimately bonded together. And so that there might be the next generation to continue to proclaim the beauty of who Christ is in the world, but that beautiful gift has been so depraved and warped and degraded in our culture. We see it all around us, don't we? 
Rather, it's advertisements which objectify women in order to make money. Or rather, it's porn where someone's viewing porn and then either their spouse at that time or their spouse in the future can never compete. Can never really, it can never really be satisfying because it's fake. It's not real. No one can live up to what is falsely depicted within porn or, or sexual harassment. Finally, the Me Too movement's beginning to force us to reckon with what's been part of our culture and part of our world for far too long. Or many of you on campus, there's a fear of sexual assault. As we see the, 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 the incidents of sexual assault rising in, in so many different places, but especially on campuses. Or those who are single, who feel pressure in a culture where often marriage is glamorized. Romance and love is glamorized in a storybook way. And so it's easy for someone who's single, especially as the years pass, to begin to feel like, there must be something wrong with me. Rather than recognizing it might be because you're a discerning person who hasn't lowered your standards and is seeking to honor Christ first in your life. We live in a sexualized society. And so because of that, this morning's message is the end of sexual harassment. Because we, we, we need to explore God's vision for love and romance and sex and to help protect each other from the idols of sexuality. We join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, you who are uh, in the Bible, in the, in, well, yeah, in the, hopefully you, you're in the Bible, but those of you who are in the house here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's on page 1170 for those who are uh, worshiping online. Uh, we're glad to be one church in multiple locations. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, cue up your device, your Bible, or page 1170. Let's have everyone join in First Thessalonians chapter 4 so we can follow up and, and exposit God's vision for love, romance, and sex. And so in First Thessalonians chapter 4, let's join in verse 3. God's will is that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, I know what we might initially think. Well, Greg, this is an ancient document. The Bible's 2,000 years old. It spoke to a world that's so radically different than ours. How could the Bible ever speak into our culture, our world? The Apostle Paul writing 2,000 years couldn't have even imagined the world that we live in. How could it speak to, to us today? Let's remember, this was written to the Jesus followers in Thessalonica, uh, today Thessaloniki. So Thessalonica was uh, really kind of an international city, a, a very diverse city. It was upon the Appian Way, which was the only east-west paved uh, road across the entire Roman Empire. I've stood in, in several places, ancient ruins, on, on the Appian Way. It was an amazing engineering um, distinction. And so that meant that there was commerce and soldiers passing through the city. Thessalonica had, which it still has, a deep port, which meant that there were merchants and sailors coming in and out of the port for commerce. So you've got soldiers, sailors, merchants. So it was one of the premier capitals of prostitution in the ancient world. Matter of fact, <clears throat> I've been on some of the cobblestone streets of many places in the former Roman Empire. And there's insignias. There's about three of them. And insignias, and you can still see them today. 
And it's an insignia that was a marker that there was prostitution here, that there was a brothel 90 degrees right here. It was prevalent all over the city of Thessalonica. There were also temple virgins. What that meant is there were young girls, usually captured slaves, who were called vestal virgins, and and men could go in and worship some of the gods by having sex with these girls. And women in Thessalonica had, had, had virtually no legal rights, whatever happened to them. That's the culture that God's speaking into. A culture not that much different. Uh, there may be a little bit different wrapping, but the same issues of challenge and confusion and wreckage and damage because of how sexuality was being warped. And so God, through the Apostle Paul, writes, avoid sexual immorality. Now, this is really God's vision. Let's just excursus summarize this and come back to this particular passage. Remember, Genesis chapter 2, God communicates. This is what love, marriage, sex is about. And then uh, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus Jesus quotes Genesis 2 and affirms that. And then in Mark chapter 10, Jesus again affirms it. So this comes from Genesis, God uh, communicating the foundation of life and relationships. Jesus affirms it twice within the Gospels. Let me just give us a portrait of God's design, of God's vision, of God's loving gift for, for, for sex as a closed circle where you have a man and a woman and they come together and it's this beautiful circle where there's freedom and beauty and pleasure and bonding. As soon as we open that circle up, premaritally or extramaritally, we end up warping this beautiful gift that God has given And that invites in wreckage. Now, we might ask, why would God take something so powerfully pleasurable and close that circle like that? Well, there's a couple of reasons, theological and practical. Theologically, because sex is a sign of the marriage covenant. Just like baptism is a sign that someone has entered into a relationship with Christ, it's a sign that proclaims that. And we can look back and say, ah, that's what Jesus did for me. As I was lowered in the water, Jesus took my sins and he sacrificed his life. As I was raised from the water, it reminds me to this kind of funky experience in the water that I've been cleansed and purified. It's a sign. Just like communion is a sign. It points to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so when we multi-sensory, touch, feel, taste, hear, we're like, wow, that's what Jesus did for me. That's the center of my faith. It's not about my performance or somehow appeasing God or, or doing enough to please God. Christ gave his life, so I'm his beloved, forgiven child to live in God's grace. And so sex is a sign of marriage. It's a sign so that we'll always remember God wants me to enjoy intimacy with God, covenant with God, relationship with God. And we've probably noticed that throughout Scripture, God gives an image to us of God as like our husband. And we're like his bride. In the New Testament, Jesus said, I'm the bridegroom and we are the bride of Christ. It's a portrait to remind us, to point us to, and almost kind of like a little bit of a preview of what's to come that will be an eternity of greater pleasure and joy and peace than anything in this world could ever offer. 
And so we might say, why should I wait to, to, to use this gift, right? Or why should I be faithful to my marriage vows? Well, God's been faithful to us. God, our spouse, has been faithful to sacrifice his life and to call us home and to give us his Holy Spirit and to guide us through this life with purpose and meaning and hope and then have an eternal treasures waiting for us. And so, as the bride of Christ, we're called to be faithful. The second reason, besides theological, is practical. God wants to protect the children He loves. Our children who are now adults and flourishing out in the world, when they were young, oh, I was protective with my kids. Matter of fact, still today, I might be a little protective with Anne sometimes, you know. So she's, what, what 26 now? And she's, I don't know, a few years from now, you know, she might begin dating. And, and I'll be pretty, pretty, pretty protective about that, right? Yeah. See, we're protective with our kids because we love them. God is protective with you and me because He loves us. And three kinds of protection that God gives for God's design, God's vision for love, romance, and sex are physical protection, relational protection, spiritual protection. That's exactly where this passage goes. Let's look at each of these briefly. Verse 4 talks about the physical protection God wants to give to us. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. Now, it's fascinating because the word body here is the word skuos in the Greek language. Remember that the New Testament was written in Greek. We translated into the languages of the world the word skuos, which was the word for a temple or a container. And here's the portrait. The body is a container of the soul. The body is a temple of God's presence through God's spirit. So, if you want to get a tattoo or another tattoo, let me tell you what's the official FBC tattoo, okay? So uh, this is like the, the BAPTAT, okay? Here it is. The first Baptist tattoo, uh, and you know, some of our church leaders are looking at me pretty nervously right now. They're like, oh man, Greg, this is like Greg's last sermon at First Baptist, okay? Okay, it's got to go to the forehead, okay? That's the official BAPTAT location. And it says, Holy. All right, here's why. Oh, by the way, please don't really do this. But just imagine every time you look in the mirror, well, that's right, emblazoned on me is holy. I'm God's holy, beloved, treasured child. I'm a container of God's presence. God lives within me. Every time we see someone, maybe it's someone at work, and they're married or we're married, and we're tempted to flirt with them, and then we, oh yeah, that holy. That's God's holy, beloved, treasured child handled with care. Every time we might want to transgress boundaries with someone, and then we look at them and say, oh, oh, they've got the baptat, holy, meaning they're created in God's image. And they're holy, treasured in God's sight, handled with care. And so we're called to treat each other in a way, according to verse 4, that's honorable. What it's saying is honor your body. It's a temple of God's residence. It says to honor each other. To honor each other as receptacles of the image of God rather than harass or transgress boundaries really with God because God lives within that person. It really changes it, doesn't it? When we begin to see the image of God in all peoples. Years ago, I shared about this several years ago, but years ago, um, Carol subscribed to Today's Christian Woman magazine. 
I read it a couple of times. Because I want to figure this whole thing out, right? So I was reading one time, you know, thumbing through, and I saw a picture. It was a grayscale picture. It was a woman who looked sick and gaunt. And I thought, that's not the portrait of the today's Christian woman done up. Christian woman, okay? What's the story about? It's about a woman who, who, who'd married for several years. Her husband traveled a lot for business. And one time, he had sex with a prostitute. And what he didn't know, this was back in like the, the late 80s, what he didn't know is he came home with HIV. And the story was about their journey and about how her husband, because of his shame, had left. She had no idea where he was. She had been diagnosed HIV positive, And the daughter that she was carrying was HIV positive, And she was dying. Here was a family wiped out because this beautiful circle that God had created, this beautiful gift, had been opened and invited wreckage. See, remember, idols can be beautiful things. But anytime there's any resource, any gift of God, and we use it in a way other than God's call, and it becomes an idol, there can be wreckage in our lives. And God loves you and wants to protect us. Physical protection. The next is emotional protection. Move down to verse 6. In this matter, meaning sex, no one should wrong his brother or sister or take advantage of them. And the Lord will punish people for all such sins. See, sex is powerful. It's a glue that, that glues people together psychologically, relationally, physically, spiritually. It's why in Genesis chapter 2 we read that the two shall become one. There's a unique intimacy that comes. Matter of fact, one of my favorite phrases in all of Genesis, all of the Bible, probably in the top hundred phrases, okay, it says, they were naked and unashamed. Isn't that beautiful? See, that's the kind of intimacy with a close circle that we can experience. It's, it's an ongoing challenge for us because anytime we have a, a marriage, we have two broken, depraved, damaged people who God's Spirit is, is uh, claiming and changing, you know, coming together. Marriage is hard work. But that close circle, there's freedom to be naked and unashamed. That's God's gift. When we open that circle, we open to not only physical, but incredible emotional and mental potential for wreckage. And so because of that, we read in verse 6, not to wrong each other. Now, it's fascinating because this word, not to wrong each other, is translated from the Greek word, hooperbenau, which means to trespass or to steal. What it's saying is no trespassing on God's people. No stealing what is outside of what God's design is for this beautiful gift. Don't trespass someone sexually. And then it says not to do this as brothers and sisters. Wow. See, how do we view that person who we're dating? How do we see that coworker that we might have some kind of attraction to who might be married or we might be married? Will we take advantage of them? Or will we view them as a brother and sister in the image of God or in Christ? It transforms things, doesn't it? When we view them through God's lens instead of our culture's lens. Matter of fact, not only that, but everyone we meet is one of Jesus' siblings. 
Remember, the book of Hebrews says Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters because God became human. God became one of us. He became our brother. We're his brothers and sisters. If we mess with someone, if we transgress boundaries with someone, remember this. That's one of Jesus' siblings. That's Jesus' brother. Jesus' sister. He died on the cross in order to have the relationship with people. Now, because of this, it says the Lord will punish such sins. See, God loves His kids. And Jesus loves His bride. And so it's, it's, if you hurt God's kids, it's like you're hurting God. See, if we trespass Jesus' bride, it breaks Jesus' heart. It's like me with our kids, especially when they were young. You mess with my kids, you mess with me. Okay, you don't mess with my kids. And listen, you damaged, hurt, wound, trespassed my wife. I'll tell you, we got issues, okay? That's how God feels about his kids. So Jesus feels about his bride, about his siblings. When we put on that lens and we see each other and we honor each other. You know, imagine a world where we really loved each other like that. Imagine how much pain and wreckage would be lifted. Imagine the freedom we'd have in relationships. Imagine how safe we would feel. And that should start in the church and spread as people are viewed through the image of God and not in whatever way by the culture. Physical protection, emotional protection, finally spiritual protection. Wrapping it up down in verse 7. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, whoever rejects this instruction doesn't reject human teaching, but God who gives you His Holy Spirit. Here's a fascinating insight. The word impure in verse 7 is translated from the Greek word akapharsia. Isn't that a great term? Akapharsia. Can't you just tell that's going to be something ominous? Akapharsia. Okay? And it is, because it's the word for garbage in Koine Greek language. And here's what this is saying. Your body is not garbage. Your, gar your body is treasured by God, loved by God, not through the lens of our world, which says you've got to be slender enough, tall enough, your skin tone neat needs to look like, right? No, God looks at us differently. God celebrates our body and who we are. Your body is not garbage. So no matter what's happened in your life, don't think, oh, it's garbage. And don't view anybody else's body as garbage. Rather, that's what we view or how we interact with people. Handle with care. I want to just mention briefly kind of a little treatise to those who are single, who are dating, or who might be on the market, okay? Or who wish they were on the market, okay? A couple of things for you. First of all, don't glamorize romance and marriage. Romance is beautiful. Marriage is a beautiful gift, but marriage is hard work. Matter of fact, if you struggle in your marriage, that means you're married. Okay? Oh, really? I mean, it's, it's it, you know, we're taking two people and bring it together. But we romanticize love and marriage and sex like it's this dreamy thing. Or there's an issue in, in a sitcom and in 18 seconds at the end, everybody's happy. That is how my relationships work. 
Right? It takes a lot of time and hard work when we've wounded or struggled with each other. Love, sex, marriage, beautiful gifts of God. But if you're single, don't glamorize it to where you think somehow you're not complete or there's something wrong until you get married. God may call you to a life of, of singleness or God may call you to get married at who knows what different times. Don't lower your standards out of so romanticizing marriage. Second thing is, I think it's so important becoming more than searching. That's what Carolyn and I met when we had both kind of said, we're, we're done searching. I, I don't want to search. We just want to become the people that God calls us to be. And it was deep in that journey where I really thought, man, maybe God, maybe I'm going to be a monk. I'm going to go in some dark cave and copy script. All right, God, I'll do it. You know. But I was just, God, I just want to be the man you've called me to be. It was amazing how through that, God just kind of did some things that we couldn't have manufactured. Becoming is more important than searching. Becoming the man, the woman God's calling us to be. And then the third thing is, don't ever marry someone hoping that they'll change. I mean, to see a trajectory of growth is great, but, but don't marry someone that, you know, they promised me after we got married that they'd go to church. They promised that they would stop being abusive. They promised that they would stop using that substance. Give it a sustained time and see whether it's real. Six months, a year, a couple of years, and see whether it's real. But don't marry someone hoping, wishing that they'll change. Last thing I want to mention before we wrap it up is remember God's grace. You may be, you may be wrestling with some shame, some guilt, some brokenness right now. The reason Jesus went to the cross and experienced shame and took our guilt and experienced such tremendous brokenness was to take our shame and guilt and brokenness on the cross and to set us free to be His beloved children. Today's a new day. In Christ, every day is a new day because we're new creations in Christ. And God is a God of second and third and fourth. God is a God of grace and forgiveness and new beginnings. Amen? So, sex is and, and, and love are beautiful gifts of God for pleasure, for intimacy, for the next generation. But any gift that is used outside of the beautiful bounds of God's will leads to wreckage. Let me, let me wrap it up. Uh, uh, one of the books I've read for, for the sermon series was God's at War by Kyle Eidelman. And he writes about his daughter... Who, who had a fish, right? You, you know, wanted a pet and, 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 and thought, great, a fish doesn't shed, I won't pee in the carpet, we're going to get a fish, okay? And really loved, you know, this fish to where when they would go swimming, right, out in the pool, they would take the fish, and the fish name, of course, was Nemo, and Nemo's bowl, bowl would be out edge of the pool and, and, and could, you know, join them swimming, watch them swim. Well, one time, you know what's coming, the bowl was put real close to the edge, the bowl was filled with water, and of course Nemo boop, jumped out of the bowl, flopped, and went into the pool. And it's like, wow, look at Nemo. Nemo was swimming freely and enjoying What a great freedom for Nemo. And he's swimming all over the pool. Like, this is awesome. They had a great time as a family until a few hours later, all of a sudden Nemo boop, 
came to the top of the pool on his side, and he was dead. Now, why would Nemo die? Because Nemo, man, got out of the bowl and was free swimming. Because there's a stuff in pools, it's called chlorine. And chlorine is not good for fish. And Nemo died. I think sometimes we can be like Nemo. We can sometimes feel like, God, why do you give us these boundaries? Remember, those boundaries lead to our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction, greatest beauty, greatest hope. But so often we can be acculturated by the idols of our world and we can say, man, look, if only I could get out of this bowl, the God bowl, then I could be set free. And God is saying, I love you too much not to warn you, to caution you, to beckon you. What's out in that pool, you don't want. You don't see it too often, but there's like the poison of chlorine. It's called sin and brokenness and depravity. And you don't want to go there. God's beautiful gifts that God gives us. I pray that we'll be so overflowing with God's love and that we will love each other and honor each other in ways that it will help to be signposts of how much God loves us. That will so overflow that the idols in the idol factory of our hearts will be displaced and instead God's love will bathe in God's love. His precious, protective blessing of His love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.